I am no longer COVID Jesus. For a while there, I thought I was Jesus himself because I was hanging out with people left, right and centre who had COVID and I never got it. I couldn't work out why. I thought I was special. But guess what? I went to Queensland and caught COVID. Welcome to The Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. I've been joined by Rafi the Gopnik Dog, who's decided to sit under my chair and lick my toes. So it could get crazy. Rafi, of course, is a bull terrier, which means this episode, if you're watching on YouTube, could go in any direction. Yes, cameras could fly anywhere because bull terriers are maniacs. Also, the other big news to hand is I have COVID. Yes, I am no longer COVID Jesus. For a while there, I thought I was Jesus himself because I was hanging out with people left, right and centre who had COVID and I never got it. I couldn't work out why. I thought I was special. But guess what? I went to Queensland and caught COVID, which pisses me off no end because for two years, Queenslanders wouldn't let me in their state being a New South Welshman from Sydney, and uh, I was treated like a leper. But here's the real news. I never got COVID in Sydney. I got COVID in Brisbane. It took uh, two years and eventually going to Brisbane to finally catch this sneaky little crispy cough. And, uh, well, today we're doing our first episode on COVID, and we got a cracking show today. We're going to talk about inflation. It is certainly a hot topic. I just got off the phone to a colleague of mine who was very concerned by headline inflation happening in the USA and Europe. And this episode has really come off the back of that conversation. I think a lot of people sometimes start to overanalyze what inflation actually is And of course, put themselves in a position where they start to get a little bit worried about the boogeyman coming to get them. And of course, it's probably fair to say there is a lot of bait around at the moment. So I want to separate a little bit of fear from fact as best as I can. But there is some Titanic stuff certainly happening when it comes to how things are increasing in price. And of course, a lot of that is Uh, occurring all at once. So we've got some Titanic stuff happening when you think about it, right? Uh, You've got demand changes, which, you know, we have to assess whether they're permanent changes or temporary. We've got a lot of supply shock challenges happening around the world. Uh, You know, things aren't moving as quick as they once did. E-commerce is breaking the supply chain and governments all over the world and companies are starting to question, you know, is delivering services and products actually something they can achieve when one country is in lockdown, you need a part from that country, all of a sudden your whole supply chain breaks. I don't know about you, but I drive past a Jaguar dealership uh, most mornings and there's no cars. I don't know where the cars are. They haven't made it because they haven't made it off the assembly line because in Germany and England, where these manufacturing hubs are, 
there's parts missing because certain parts come from different countries. So everyone's looking at supply chain economics at the moment. And of course, it is pushing prices up. Then you've got the energy problem. Europe and Russia are doing battle. And of course, uh, the crazy Russians have invaded Ukraine. And, and of course, this has created embargoes on Russian fossil fuels, oils, uh, gas, petroleum, you name it, uh, energy-rich Russia is being, uh, you know, spanked at the moment. And, of course, uh, it's a bit crazy. I think Europe is in for a lot of challenges because, you know, they do rely on a lot of their energy, which makes no sense to me that you can be, for example, Germany have a different political ideology to that of Russia, actually have a doctrine where NATO and Russia hate each other, but you buy all your energy off this country that in theory there is some sort of hostility towards. So, wow, there's a lot going on over there. And, of course, a lot of that is going to create even more headline inflation, which, you know, of course is going to push the cost of certain goods and services up. And of course, I think one of the big reasons we're seeing inflation, let's not hold back here, is the amount of stimmies that the governments around the world have injected into the uh, economies off the back of COVID. I mean, COVID was a blessing because it created stimmies, which created uh, the wealth effect, which created a lot of capital growth for real estate. But the bill for that is coming and it has to come in the form of money being fundamentally more expensive to buy because uh, it has been artificially too cheap. You know, we've been literally in a temporary interest rate environment, artificially lowered to deal with COVID-19 for way too long, in my opinion. So we got a lot going on. And of course, uh, here in Australia, with borders shut for so many years due to the pandemic, of course, this has created an imbalance in the labour market. There's not enough people around to do all the jobs that are needed. And of course, this is pushing the price of certain jobs up. And of course, I think a lot of people have made just too much money almost from housing and are starting to just evacuate working. Uh, I had a conversation last week with someone uh, I'm uh, very, very close with and they're just too rich. They're just getting out of this thing called work because why bother if your house has gone up a couple of million bucks? And I think this sort of great resignation is a real thing at the moment where all of a sudden people are going, well, you know, I don't really have the energy to do another 10 or 15 years worth of work. Uh I might just cash in and tap out. And of course, all power to people who put themselves in those positions. It's a lot of hard work behind the scenes. But when we look at the headline inflation rates around the world, they're getting up there, right? Like the United States headline CPI at around 8%. Uh, you know, much of Europe, fairly similar. similar. Uh, New Zealand, 6%. Russia, you know, headline inflation is like 20% at the moment with what's going on over there. And then you've got uh, certainly countries which are stagnating at the moment, places like Japan and 
China with inflation less than 1%. Australia's headline inflation rate is around 3.5%. And a big part of that is Australia is very, very fortunate to have uh, a lot more energy than the average country. And for that reason, actually, energy prices in Australia are getting cheaper. And this is, of course, making our headline inflation rate a little bit better than what is happening in certainly other parts of the world. But I think it's fair to say, uh, certainly in Europe, things don't look crash hot. The inflation rate is very, very high. Uh, There is obviously a European war going on at the moment. And of course, um, a lot of that does not bode well for the economics of Europe. And I do think probably if I was to take an educated guess, I would say certainly two quarters of negative growth in Europe could actually lead to a European recession. I see the polar opposite happening in Australia, by the way. And of course, this leads us to the money conversation. How does money actually work? How does the money cycle work when it comes to real estate? And of course, There is the short-term money cycle, which is generally year on year. What is happening with money is uh, what is happening with the economy. And then there is the long-term money cycle, whereby fundamentally, over a period of time, things tend to naturally cost more. And of course, real estate is a great hedge to things costing more over time. But when you think about the money cycle uh, and where we're at when it comes to real estate today, you've got different periods. You've obviously got a boom period, uh, a stimulus period, which we've just been through. Uh, The Australian government has used quantitative easing, the printing of money, to create the wealth effect. And that stimulus period is certainly coming to an end. And what that fundamentally Uh, created was a lot of wealth, but it also artificially lowered interest rates, obviously to deal with uh, the pandemic, with lockdowns, with people being unable to go to work. The interest rate was lowered to a tenth of 1%, which is too low. It's too low, right? Uh, So you've got these different periods of money passing through the cycle. You can have a recession period. You can have a deleveraging period where money is recalled. And uh, you can have a period of reinflation and inflation. And it's probably fair to say where we find ourselves today is a time where the conversation is about let's reinflate the cost of money because it is artificially too cheap. And of course, Uh, rising interest rates, if you like, tend to create a lot of headlines and a lot of people get worried uh, because a lot of Australians have to go back to 2010 when the last time interest rates actually were risen or were put up. And of course, for a lot of property investors, a lot of people that own real estate, they've never seen interest rates higher than what they are today. And Again, um, the fact that you can go out and borrow money for virtually nothing is a little bit preferred. So we need to build a bit of an economic moat around what that looks like, but also understand it is not certainly the end of the world whatsoever. 
the fact that we have gone, we are probably going from a very uh, stimulated place, a very temporary place of artificially low interest rates to a more normal place into the future is a good thing. And it is testament to the economy. The economy is booming at the moment. And, you know, I guess a lot of fear-mongering around inflation is around the idea of stagflation. Stagflation is just the concept that things are stalling, but things are costing more. And when you analyse how a recession unfolds, the first thing is usually gross domestic product falls. In other words, the country is losing more money than it's making and GDP is going backwards. Unemployment is rising. In other words, people are struggling to find a job and demand is being decimated while inflation is going up. In other words, people have less money, there is no job security and the country is going backwards, but things are costing more. This is a recessionary environment, often referred to as stagflation. But that's not the case, is it? What we are seeing is things are costing more. Uh, Demand is going up or continuing to be very, very, very uh, enthused. Unemployment is dropping, not rising. We are headed to a record low unemployment rate. And as a country from a GDP level, we are not going backwards at all. We are holding our own. So whilst there's inflation, the actual economic underbelly of what is unfolding is very, very good. It's a good thing. It's uh, sometimes with inflation, you know, people can be a bit half glass full with the conversation. So maybe we should go back a step. What actually is inflation? What is it? Well, it's a very deep question, isn't it? Inflation is just simply the decline of purchasing power over a period of time. And I always explain it using the pack of chewing gum. You know, if you bought a pack of chewing gum this year and it costs a dollar, and next year the inflation or the inflation rate over that year was, you know, uh, 2%, the next year you would have to come back and buy that very same piece of chewing gum for a dollar and two cents. And of course, if you're not earning more, then you're simply losing buying power to buy the same thing. And we often refer to inflation through coffee economics. If you think about the evolution of everyone getting on the drug coffee, Uh, it has changed and morphed in value over time. And certainly the cup of coffee I was buying in 2009 was $3.50. That same cup of coffee today is $5.50. There's a lot going on inside that coffee though. Uh, What are the costs when you think about it? The barista, maybe they charge more to deliver that cup of coffee. Uh, when you think about rent of the coffee shop, maybe the rent's gone up to cover um, the cost of that coffee being $5. It's the same coffee, same coffee back then. Um, it just costs more. 
the fact that coffee may actually take a lot longer to get to the coffee shop because of logistics and e-commerce. All of a sudden, the cup of coffee can no longer be delivered at $3.50 like in 2009. It needs to be delivered at $5.50. So if you're not earning more, then things just cost so much for the average person. And of course, there's only so much money to go around, only so much of the pie to go around. And of course, one of the big considerations of that pie is the cost to rent and the cost to have a mortgage. So inflation can be broken down into quadrants, if you like. The first quadrant is pull inflation or demand-led inflation, right? And again, if there's excessive demand on a certain product, there is too many dollars chasing too few, if you like. And of course, this creates shortages. And certainly when it comes to a lot of what is going on uh, inside of real estate, there's a lot of shortage of real estate at the moment. There's a lot more demand to buy properties then there is properties to be delivered. And of course, this creates a shortage. So this pushes the value of real estate up. And of course, this can be seen in the cost of bricks. It can be seen in the cost of furniture. It can be seen in the cost of just about everything. When you think of some of the logistics challenges we've got at the moment, when it comes to creating things because of supply chain shortages, Demand inflation is a real thing. Like there is just too many people wanting too fewer stuff. And of course, one of the ways to slow that down, if you like, and bring and restore more balance is to push the cost of money up. So people just slow down a bit with how much they want stuff. The next type of inflation, I guess, is cost or uh or push inflation, also known as wage inflation. Wage inflation is just that, like when the jobs market has more jobs than there is people, you're going to see the cost of wages rise. And really, we've been through a few lost decades, if you like, in Australia of no wage growth, but houses have gone up, you know, X percent, and coffee has gone up Y percent. So it's interesting when you analyze the type of inflation being created, everyone realizes that there is a certain level of built-in inflation and we call that uh, CPI. Quite often in Australia, we want built-in inflation of two to three percent per annum. That's a healthy uh, cost improvement on a service or good. Uh, where it can get a bit funky, and you're seeing this in US headline inflation, European headline inflation, is when things start to rise by 10%. Uh, is that just too much for the economic uh, wages to keep up with? So, uh, you know, the last time we really saw wage growth in Australia was back in mining boom one, call it 2002, three, four, five. There was a lot of wage growth. People were earning a lot of money and this pushed the interest rates up and up and up and up. And, you know, the counterbalance to higher wages, of course, is 
that interest rates do rise off the back of higher wage growth. And so in theory, uh, you're earning more so you can pay more for money. That is kind of the inflation theory of cost push inflation or wage growth inflation. And of course, back in 2002, 3, 4, 5, you know, people were going off to infrastructure projects and mining projects around Australia earning $200,000 for driving a truck. And, you know, this made everyone's wages go up because people wouldn't work in the office. They would be like, I don't want to work in the office for 40 grand a year. I'm going to go and drive a truck and get $200,000 a year. And of course, this meant the office job then went to, you know, $100,000. So wage growth was big. Uh, And things cost a lot when that was actually unfolding. I remember going to Perth and ordering a steak and chips in the pub and it was like $42 because everyone in Perth was earning like $200,000 in this massive mining boom back then. Um, It was certainly a lot different in the eastern states when that wage growth unfolded. People were leaving and going and chasing the wage dollar. So you can have shortages of supply and an increase in wages and this Uh, can create two different pools when it comes to inflation. The jury is out to whether wage growth is is happening. Anecdotally, I think it is happening. I certainly um, am growing my business. Things are booming. And to find talent, it's a hard thing to do. So really, you have to be competitive with your offering when it comes to the compensation package. And of course, for property investors, this is potentially the time where you start to add more value to wherever you work or the business you're in and potentially start to earn more money. And one of the greatest ways to become wealthy out of real estate is to simply earn more so you can borrow more and get more capital into the marketplace. But without question, we are seeing obviously around the world logistics challenges. A lot of that is off the back of e-commerce. I mean, can e-commerce keep going like it is? I mean, this morning, I you know, I bought basically some batteries and that, that, like I don't even leave the house. I mean, how ridiculous is that to buy batteries and have them posted to me? Uh, it puts a strain on the system and of course, Uh, quite often that then in itself creates more and more uh, inflation. But without question, the biggest root cause of inflation is quantity theory of money, quantitative uh, easing, if you like, which is just the printing of money. The pandemic itself, uh, there was a lot of money printed all over the globe and let's face it, When there's more money flowing around, uh, the money supply has increased and fundamentally the velocity of money is just too quick. So people have got too much money, so they spend like crazy. And of course, uh, what this fundamentally does is soak up all the level of supply of stuff and uh, push prices up. And again, when we analyze really one of the root causes of inflation, it's printing money. And it's fair to say just about every country in the Western world to support their economy through the pandemic printed money. And so 
the bill is in the post for that. Like you, that doesn't come for free. And uh, we will see the cost of that in what money eventually returns to what the, the normal will be into the future. So uh, for anyone who's new to kind of economics and anyone new to the idea of real estate, I think it's prudent to understand that on the first Tuesday of every month, the Reserve Bank of Australia meets and makes a decision on the cost of money. They make a decision on uh, the cash rate. And of course, the cash rate then affects the bank rate, which major lenders can offer money to the marketplace. And so the Reserve Bank has to take into a lot of things into consideration when they're setting the cash rate. Now, I personally think the cash rate has been way too low for way too long. And again, I think... Um, you know, the fact that it probably will go up in time is not a bad thing. You can't continuously have uh, a wartime cash rate. There is just no reason for it. So uh, when the Reserve Bank meet, they take into consideration interest rates of the day, inflation, how it's unfolding, current account balances and deficits, uh, terms of trade of Australia, you know, is uh, is Australia and other countries going to default on what they own? Uh, is Australia at risk at another country's debt to Australia defaulting? Um, uncertainty around the world, like political challenges, obviously things like what is happening in the Ukraine and, of course, public debt. So there's a lot they go through to understand how to make sure money is anchored at a fair rate. And, of course, the world's currency is the US greenback. So when America moves on rates, it does have an impact because it will affect currency. And, of course, if your interest rate is pegged wrong against the US interest rates and greenback, you can have problems with the cost of your money. And Australia tends to like its uh, its money pegged at around 70 to 75 cent US dollar. And of course, this allows for exporters, which Australia is a big exporter, to be uh, in the game, so to speak. And again, if the interest rates are all out of whack with what's going on with the US, the dollar can be too expensive. And of course, uh, this can mean that our terms of trade drop because we're not selling enough stuff because we're too expensive. We're overpriced. So I often get the conversation, well, why don't uh, the monetary uh, policy makers just leave the interest rates alone because it's pretty unaffordable to live at the best of times, let alone pay for mortgages. But they have more things to consider and, and probably one of the big highlighted things they need to consider is the currency rate where we are sitting at a global level. If we're going to sell lots of iron ore, if we're going to sell lots of coal, lots of sheep, lots of cows, we've got to have a competitive dollar. And if we don't move on interest rates, it can make it very, very uncompetitive. And of course, that can cause other types of problems. So 
Why do interest rates get raised? Well, they obviously get raised to, uh, you know, slow up a booming economy from fundamentally overheating. And uh, they kind of have an inverse relationship, you know, higher borrowing costs, if you like, tends to uh, slow down the amount of demand for a product. And again, lower borrowing costs sent, tends to increase demand for a product. And of course, with property, you know, the lower the rate, the more the demand. And the conversation constantly is reverberated. Well, do you not see the inverse of that where there's uh, higher costs to account for money, then there must be less demand. And it certainly can unfold that way. And certainly when I saw interest rates at, you know, you were borrowing money off the bank at 8 9 10%, there was certainly a slowdown when it came to real estate, but there were very good deals to be had. Will we get back to an 8 9 10% interest rate market like was the the market of 2007? No, not at all. Um, in general terms, uh, I guess when interest rates are low, the economy kind of grows and inflation increases. This is the system. Uh, conversely, when interest rates are high, the economy slows and inflation decreases. So where do we find ourselves? We're finding ourselves really in a nice place, a nice place where it seems that jobs, the jobs market is very, very tight seems that the economy is very, very good. And we're kind of finding ourselves back to where we should be in the market normal or market middle. Now, when it comes to inflation, a lot of the conversation is around what is known as transitory inflation, or the idea that something is just temporary. Um, the stimulus for the pandemic, uh, for, for COVID, uh, for this bloody disease I've now got, um, was temporary, right? Like that is transitory printing money. You don't do that every day. Um, so the idea that something will pass is the idea of transitory inflation. So the Reserve Bank obviously looks at the headline figures around the world of inflation and then discounts transitory stuff. Uh, when you think about transitory stuff is like, well, yeah, Russia accounts for like 10% of the world's energy and no one wants to do business with Russia. But uh, all that means is that new trade routes will open, like where countries were getting their oil and wheat and gas from the Ukraine or Russia, they're now going to divert. And so the idea of something being transitory is just the idea of the next season effect. In other words, uh, you know, Ukraine apparently is the world's food bowl when it comes to wheat, right? So if not enough wheat's being sold or getting out of the Ukraine, then what do farmers do around the world? They grow wheat. And of course, the next season effect is that uh, supply, which is constricted, is opened up. What does 
European countries do if they can't get their energy from Russia, they backdoor it from somewhere else. They will go and find another trade route. So inflation, albeit uh, a bit exciting at the moment and certainly wrapped up in a lot of things like pandemics and wars, uh, the idea that that is seasonal and not uh, going to last forever is a real concept. And of course, for smart countries, they're already finding new trade routes to open up uh, the their economies. The other thing I think we need to take into consideration is inflation happens when an economy is booming. And I don't know about you, but most people I speak to, most businesses that I speak to is they are booming. There is a few businesses which have come out of the pandemic and doing it tougher than others. But if you look at the major sort of 10 industries in Australia, I think two of the 10 are doing it tougher. Like personal trainers are doing it tough at the moment. No one wants to go back to the gym. People found they can go jogging in the park. Um, but for many industries, many uh, major, major, major industries, they're just booming at the moment. And of course, uh, you know, when things are booming, people are spending. And when people are spending, that in itself can create, uh, you know, the idea of, of, of growth, of growth and inflation. Now, uh, it's an important concept, right, that every dollar I spend is someone else's income. And if I stop spending, someone else doesn't have an income. So the fact is where the jobless rate is in Australia today is ridiculously low. And yes, the headline inflation is currently around 3.5%. It'll probably get as high as 4 or 5%. But the, the jobs market is so tight at the moment. I mean, you are seeing unemployment rates below 4%, closer to 3.5%. This in itself means that wages should grow. And again, if you're earning more money and you spend that money, the velocity of what is going on means that someone else is earning. What you uh, spend is someone else's wage. And again, if we go back to the idea of stagflation, which is just the idea that uh, things can go the opposite way. In other words, things can, uh, unemployment can rise. Um, the GDP can fall of, of a country. Um, this is not happening in Australia at Certainly not at the moment. Certainly not at the time of recording. So real estate's a bit of a hedge for inflation, if you like. And when we analyze why real estate's a hedge for inflation, well, obviously the idea of something costing more into the future, real estate kind of goes with what things cost into the future. Uh, also, when you look at how much of the real estate market is works it works off the rental market and rents are kind of connected to cpi even in the commercial real estate marketplace um you know when you sign a lease you sign a lease 
plus CPI. So if the CPI or the inflation rate is 5%, next year you're paying that 5%. And again, um, the idea that real estate is actually a safe haven and protected by inflation is, uh, is quite accurate. In other words, that things cost more over time, but if you can trade your future real estate dollars into the currency of the, of the day, you're absolutely going to make more than, for example, leaving money in the bank and getting uh, just CPI increases, right? So real estate is considered a bit of a hedge. And obviously, we're going into a situation where there's a rental crisis and much of any future interest rate rises will be for certainly for property investors passed on to the rental marketplace. And we're already starting to see rents go up quite handsomely around Australia at the moment, which leads us to the conversation, where does Australia sit when it comes to its debt levels, when it comes to the idea of paying more for a mortgage? And what's so fascinating is there's a lot of equity in Australia. People, uh, the, the loan-to-value ratio of Australian real estate from debt to what it's actually worth is 20%, right? It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Uh, there's about $10 trillion worth of real estate. I was just looking at a CoreLogic report. Uh, it's around $10 trillion in real estate, around $2 trillion in debt. So what... A lot of uh, the conversation is around real estate is obviously will real estate go down if interest rates go up and certainly what we would be talking about is not the ability of, of that to affect debt because the loan to value ratio is just too skewed in the equities favour. When you think about how Australia works, the pie of Australian real estate, if you like, the pie graph, uh, a lot of real estate is fully owned in Australia. I mean, there are a lot of baby boomers, builders, they've paid off their real estate. In fact, most of the wealth is trapped in real estate, which is paid off in Australian economics. There is an absolute huge amount of wealth stored in real estate, which has no debt whatsoever. And of course, when you think about, you know, someone perhaps in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s, they're not carrying huge amounts of debt as a homeowner. And so as a property investor, when we buy in suburbs, which are much older, we also get this effect that suburbs that are older have houses and apartments and so forth that are already paid off. Then, of course, there's people with mortgages. And again, like if I look at uh, where I own a family home, um, I bought that family home 10 years ago. What it's worth today and the mortgage on what it's worth today is irrelevant to me because I took on a mortgage 10 years ago. And I bought real estate at a different price 10 years ago. So again, like the fact that maybe the cash rate will change, which will create an effect on interest rates moving up, 
Uh, it doesn't really bother a lot of people who have started mortgages uh, four, five, six, 10, 12, 15, 20 years ago because of what they paid for the property and what it fundamentally would equalize out at when it comes to its interest rate level. Then, of course, you've got people who've just started a mortgage. And, uh, you know, anyone who's started a mortgage usually is also starting, you know, out as a first home buyer. And let's face it, uh, first home buyers are generally pretty young and capable. And what they do have on their side is energy. They can work two jobs if they need to. They can take up a side hustle if they need to. So yes, they went and borrowed at 95% LVR. Yes, they're highly leveraged probably compared to what they earn. But let's face it, they're the ones which are probably more capable to expel energy into making sure that they pay for what they've bought. And there is a real sense of pride and ownership for people who've bought their first home. They don't want to mess it up. So the Australian real estate market is looking pretty good. And of course, when you consider the investors in the market, which tend to sort of make up another sort of 30% of the market or thereabouts, I mean, investors are protected by the hedge of inflation through rents and taxes. Uh, they get better tax deductions if interest rates increase. They tend to be able to pass on interest rate costs to the tenant market, and it certainly will be the case this time around. When we analyse the rental market at the moment, it is a basket case. There just isn't enough rental stock floating around, and of course, uh, any interest rate movement will no doubt be offset by better tax deductions and better rents being passed on to the tenant marketplace, which again leads me back to what I've been talking about for a long time, which is inequality is a real thing. And certainly I've been saying this forever, you know, inequality has a postcode. So what you probably will find in real estate terms is the mortgage belt marketplaces probably going to do it the toughest when it comes to what happens next with real estate. Uh, as I allude to, there's kind of four forms of money in real estate, aspirational, discretionary, affordable, and then that sort of broke into town, the mortgage belt part of the marketplace. What we tend to see when interest rates move up is the mortgage belt areas tend to do it the toughest. They're the ones where you know, people aren't earning a lot of money, even potentially with pay rise on offer, their job just can't warrant much more uh, being uh, poured into it from, a, from an industry point of view. And so, as I always allude to, just don't buy in those places. Now, remember, this is not a deleveraging. This is not a market deleveraging at all. Uh, and when we talk about what that fundamentally means is there is the cost of money, but also the availability of money. Now, over in New Zealand, they are going through a bit of a deleveraging at the moment. The cost of money is higher, but the availability to get money is much harder. And of course, what this can do to a marketplace is certainly 
remove demand, and of course, create a compression on prices. In Australia, we went through a deleveraging period, the credit crunch. Uh, We all got put on a credit program, a debt reduction program, back in sort of 2016, 17, 18. So we went through a deleverage. And if you can remember back when APRA stepped in and deleveraged the marketplace, real estate values dropped. If you go back even further to the GFC, we went through a deleveraging then and real estate values dropped in certain areas, which were, uh, you know, really challenged by what was unfolding with the terms of trade in the Australian dollar. In fact, if you want to know when Australia loses money, it's when deleveraging has it happens in real estate, when credit squeezes happen. What you need to understand is inflation and interest rates going up is has or the cost of money going up has nothing to do with the availability to get money. In other words, if people can afford it, they can still go and borrow. In New Zealand, people who can afford it can't go and borrow. So a deleveraging is probably the most, it's probably the Achilles heel to the Australian real estate marketplace. And there's a deleveraging sort of once every 10 years. What is unfolding is certainly not that. We are simply going from a stimulus period to an artificially low interest rate potentially reinflating to a more normal rate, which makes a lot of sense to me. And of course, um, there's been a lot of studies on the idea that when interest rates go up, it doesn't necessarily see real estate values go down. In fact, uh, sometimes when interest rates go up, uh, obviously rents go up. So the value proposition to investors tends to be uh, equal And of course, if there's a really good yield, a lot of retirees love inflation because they're just getting more money, more cash flow coming into the market. If anything, inflation improves cash flow, which is a cool thing when it comes to rent, particularly if you're shopping, obviously, with cash. So I recently sat through an NAB lecture to understand what they expect to happen when it comes to interest rates. Obviously, it's an election, so no doubt after that election is by the wayside, no matter who wins, uh, potentially there is going to be two or three interest rate rises in 2023 and two or three in 2024. Their prediction is to say by mid-2024, the cash rate will be 2%, really going back to what it was more like before COVID came along and artificially dropped the interest rate. What will that mean for the average cost of a home loan? It's probably going to be circa 5%. Again, if you're getting a uh, rental return of five or six percent as an investor, you're going to be very, very well placed. But I do think people should enter the next phase of the market with an economic moat. 
it's probably a good idea to make sure you've got your buffers set up properly, you've got your offset set up properly, you've got your loans restarted and recalibrated. I mean, now is the perfect time to work out potentially how to lower your monthly cost to run a mortgage. And probably the best way to do that is to actually even restart a mortgage uh, so that you're spreading out your loan term over the longest possible period. Again, just simple techniques can make the world of difference when it comes to battling the idea that the cash rate is going to change. Uh, The reality is, I think, always owning real estate where there's value in the real estate through the yield is really, really important. And again, uh, if you're too negatively geared, if it's costing you hundreds and hundreds of dollars to own a property, that's when you start to go, well, is this property really worth it? Am I losing too much money every year to actually keep up with what any future capital gain is? And again, uh, I always teach there's three parts of the puzzle when it comes to running a property. There's you, the tenant, and the tax man. Make sure the tenant and the tax man is covering most of the the cost to run the real estate and you'll never have a problem. I guess also, you know, when it comes to your economic mode, don't panic. Don't go and fix an interest rate at, you know, a gazillion percent because you're worried about a 10% interest rate. That stuff's not going to happen. Uh, we are just simply going from a stimulated point of the money cycle to a more normal point of the money cycle. And what that correlates to is no normal amounts of capital growth, more stable areas being stable. Uh, they're stable for a reason. The consensus is in that reason. And of course, that's how real estate works. So I'm looking forward to it. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. I'll catch you next time as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.